to the latest edition of the Forest Guy Podcast. Everybody, uh, after a fantastic wild card weekend, which of course I dubbed a wild wild card weekend, we have a special guest on for this version. We'll have our buddy Blots on later, but for right now, um, for the from the Northwest Herald and HubArchist.com, uh, Mr. Tom Music, how are you doing today, sir? Hey, great. I'm doing really well. How about yourself? I I'm excited because. That weekend was pretty good as far as wild card football goes, and usually division rounds is even better. So I, I'm really interested to see how they can possibly one up each other. Yeah, you know I'm sitting here in Chicago, and last weekend we had a big sort of like cold freeze, which most of the country did too. So I mean the temperatures just plunged through the weekend. We got about 10 inches of snow. So my wife and I, you know, went outside, ran a bunch of errands Saturday morning got back probably exactly about 3 o'clock Central Time on Saturday, and it was perfect timing because that was the first kickoff of the weekend. You know, I probably watched however many hours it was, 12 or 13 hours combined of football, and it was awesome. There was no letdown. So the bar has been set. So I kind of need this to happen again this weekend, but I'm going to be disappointed. Well, I, I think that we have the matchups to do that, um, but... Uh, I noticed that you are you wrote um, a piece on the uh, baseball Hall of Fame, so we'll get to the we'll get to the games a little bit later. And of course, uh, being from the Chicago area, obviously uh, everyone who listens to the podcast knows that me and my buddy Blotz are Bears fans. So we'll get into some of the Bears off season. First of all, it seemed like that we are kind of kindred spirits when it comes to the baseball Hall of Fame. Um, just, just give uh, anyone who's listening the, the kind of the synopsis of your story and uh, where your opinion goes from there. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm not saying this necessarily has to be everybody's opinion, but it's mine. And I wrote it just before the Hall of Fame announcement came out on Wednesday. And basically said, if it's up to me, if I'm a voter, which I'm not, I would just open the doors to the Hall of Fame and I would make it, make it what it is, which is a museum for baseball. And that means that Barry Bonds gets in, that means that Roger Clemens gets in, just like it means that Greg Maddox gets in, and Tom Glad and Frank Thomas. I think that it's important. I mean, this, this happens. You know, the steroid era happens. We were all, we all looked the other way. So I would, I would, I would put all of the greats in the Hall of Fame, and I, I think it just gets too fuzzy when you're trying to say, okay, Barry Bonds is a cheater, Mike Piazza kind of looks like a cheater, Frank Thomas has really big muscles, but we think he's clean. It's just too funny. I would just put everybody in there, and then when you go to the Hall of Fame someday and you take your kids, you can absolutely point out to your kids that this guy used steroids, this guy gambled on baseball, you know, this guy had a great reputation. But I just don't understand the kind of this closed-mindedness that, you know, certain people just cannot be let in because of something that happened, you know, 10 or 20 years ago that, that we all saw happen and, and none of us, you know, yeah, and I agree with that, and I, I like to take it a step further. Um, 
people have heard this this opinion of mine before, but uh, I have baseball is a real interesting problem where people seem to take certain things a lot more personally than they do other sports. And over time, I've just developed this idea that simply we shouldn't be married to the numbers in the first place because what we've been comparing, or I say we as it seems like the collective whole or the old school thinking in baseball and the marriage to numbers, when all these numbers were created in completely different environments in the first place. And I, I mean, Babe Ruth was hitting 85 mile an hour pitches with a telephone pole uh, thrown by the bean ball, I mean bean bags being thrown 85 miles an hour with a telephone pole and parks that were 20% larger. So how was that ever comparable to Hank Aaron in the first place? Yeah, I think it, it gets tricky when you're talking about comparing players over eras. And now we and now we kind of admire different types of numbers. You know, we used to think of Cy Young and all his wins. Well, now, you know, most baseball fans, I think, would tell you that a win for a pitcher is kind of a meaningless statistic. You know, there's a lot better statistics you could look at to determine a pitcher's value or a hitter's value. And uh, so I'm, I'm with you on that, you know, it gets a little dicey, and then, I guess if you were to break it down a little farther, you take a guy like Barry Bonds, I mean, he had great numbers before he, his body blew up, you know, so <laughs> at what point, at what point did he become a cheater, at what point, you know, wouldn't he have been a Hall of Famer anyway, if he, if he, if he weren't linked and all the Mitchell Report stuff, you know, so it's just, it's messy, and there's no easy answer, but that's, that's why I would just do the policy of let everybody in, and, and just acknowledge reality, you know, it happens. Yeah, and it's not even just that. I mean, by, by taking the stance and, and by taking the stance that the that, that one guy did by by voting for Jack Morris and no one else and, and saying that no one from that era should be in, the other dangerous stance that to take when, when people are so concerned with the present is what if we find out in the future that we've medically figured out how steroids can help people? And then in two generations from in the future, the regular populace is using steroids in a positive manner because the research has been done and we've syndicated some sort of uh, some sort of positive thing from it. How are they going to go back and understand why all these people were left out? I, I just don't think it's a place. I, I think you're exactly right in that it's a museum. Present the facts, whether you want to do it with putting a whole wing out there and throwing the Mitchell report in there and then putting all the players from that era, if you go, I don't know, 1985 to 2003, but then even that's muddy because we know steroids existed in the 70s. On the, we, we have pretty good evidence that steroids existed in the 70s from what Tom House has said. It, it, either way, no matter how you want to do it, let the people have the information to judge. Let's not judge for them. Yeah, I mean, we have the record book. I mean, you can see Barry Bonds' name at the top of the home run chart. You can see Pete Rose's name at the top of the hit chart. So why can't you see them in the Hall of Fame? I mean, I mean, just because I see Barry Bonds as the number one home run hitter on that list, it doesn't mean I have, you know, un unbelievable respect or fondness for him. I, I know what he did, is, but they didn't erase his name from the record book, which, which is the right thing to do. They shouldn't have done that, you know. And uh, why, why isn't that same approach used with the Hall of Fame? You know, put his name in there. Put P. Rose's name in there. Whoever else. If they're qualified, put him in. I understand that Mark McGuire is not a Hall of 
one-dimensional player. I don't think his overall production matched up. So, you know, that that vote to me wouldn't have to do with steroids. It would just have to do with production. So if their names are in the record books, I don't understand why they can't be in the Hall of Fame. Why? Just because he was only a power hitter and an, and, and an average fielder for the first four years of his career. What? No. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I I don't know. I I don't like um, I don't like the stances people are taking with the Hall of Fame. I I do think the 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 I think if people can just let go and think of objectively with how these numbers were created, you know, okay, Frank Robinson in his time was hitting 40 home runs when the average guy was hitting 10 to 15. Well, in in the steroid era, the average guy started hitting 25. And the, uh, 25 to 30, and the really good guys were hitting 50 to 70. That's just that's just how it was in that era. And if the guy was great in the eras that you can compare, and, and I think that's how you have to, can, uh, that's how you decide a guy is whether whether he's good or not. Is simple eye test from his era. Was he a great player in his era? Well, was he very top tier? If it's yes, then that guy's probably a Hall of Famer, no matter how he did it at that time. And, and, and like you said, I mean, and, and like we both seem to agree, like, just present it out there. People will figure it out on their own. Yeah, yeah, I don't understand the, the concept of the baseball police kind of like, you know, overseeing, you know, who, who, who colored within the lines or who colored mostly within the lines. I mean, the Hall of Fame, we know there's cheaters in the Hall of Fame, right? I mean, I, I guess Gaylord Perry involves a little bit of a different thing. I mean, you know, this isn't, this isn't a, uh, uh, a church, you know, even though we kind of approach it that way. And I know people get passionate about baseball, and I'm the same way. But this is specifically about players and their career. That's it. So I, I, don't, I don't know. I, I think uh, it just, it just the lines get too blurred. So that's, that's, where, that's kind of where I came in. Yeah, it, it, you know, and, and, and honestly, I'm, I'm old school too. I, I, I was a pitcher, and I, I, I love any pitcher that can actually go seven innings nowadays. Um, but if baseball wants to ever be honest with itself, and it has a really pro, real big problem doing that, and I, I think it comes from the top down there. But that's that's for my annual July podcast where I do all the uh, things that Bud Sela gets wrong. Um, sadly, I'm gonna have to change that name soon. But, you know, there's a lot more to the reason why the Black Sox scandal ever happened in the first place, the reason why the rules were put in place, the reason why the trial happened, isn't necessarily because the gambling happened. It's because the gambling happened in the World Series. Baseball knew that players were gambling all the time back then. It was commonplace. It was well known. So how do you judge that? The people that play, all those guys that played in that era, which, by the way, included Babe Ruth. So, and what about how, when, if you want to go back even further, what about how smoke and opium used to be part of a pregame ritual in the, in the 1870s and the 1880s when they played? Oh, and, 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, at least we can look back and and be thankful that little strides are being taken place with baseball. You know, uh, it took them a long time of me complaining to finally start releasing their media on, on YouTube, and and that that to me was a simple thing on how you could draw younger fans because I I have a, a little sister, and all she was was on YouTube, and baseball would just protect their content the content like a hawk and. Finally, finally, they got on the NBA bandwagon, who who just never really protected their their stuff on YouTube. So, yeah, I hope that uh, I hope something turns and and, and we see a, a better future with the the Baseball Hall of Fame. Yeah, I hope so too. Like you said, I think it's incremental progress, but it might take a while to to get where we want it to go. Okay, I, last week uh, we're gonna rehash a little thing that from from me and Blonick. I'm not sure, and folks, I am not sure which side uh, he is on this one. So we're just gonna let this go. All right, Cutler, how do you feel about it? I, you know, I think Cutler won. You know, if you're looking at it as a competition between the Bears and Cutler, Cutler got his way. As much as he wants to tell you that, uh, you know, 15 million or 22 million doesn't really make a difference. So I think if I were the Bears, I would have probably been a little more of a hardliner. I still would have probably brought him back because I don't know what your alternative would have been. Maybe it was Josh McCown and a rookie, but that's kind of risky. So I think I would have brought Color back, but I think guaranteeing him essentially three years for $54 million is, is kind of a lot. When you could have put the franchise tag on him and taken away his right to go on the open market mm-hmm. and then negotiated you know, within that window, I think you could have could have gotten away with, with fewer years, less money. But they clearly they love Jay Cutler. You know, Phil Emery likes him. Mark Tressman really likes him. The offense is working. I understand that. I guess I get where they were coming from. I just thought that they kind of gave Cutler everything he wanted, and, and I didn't really see a whole ton of middle ground there, other than, I guess, the fact that you can get out of that deal after three years. Yeah, I guess that's the part, part that... Uh I've been a pretty much unabashed Cutler fan most of the time, while being honest about about his faults as well. I just think that they did okay because of the going rate for anybody in the top 15, it seems. I mean, what do we have? We have at least 8 or 10 of these contracts are $18 million plus now, something like that. That's just going to increase. I mean, you've got Cam Newton coming up. You've got Russell Wilson coming up. You've got Kaepernick coming up. All these things are going to happen in the next couple of years. And three years from now, if this, this really doesn't work, uh, they can get out. And it is weird to see a front-loaded contract that, that does seem to favor the player, but at least the Bears have outs. And, and the thing that, that I think was interesting about the deal is that the difference this year from last year um, it's pretty much what Julius Peppers is going to save off the cap. I, I think that's. I'm just wondering why that one hasn't ha- why that uh, domino hasn't fallen quite yet. And I think maybe there's a certain date that we have to go by before they can do that. But um, the plan for like as far as people concerned with the, I guess my point with that is that the plan for people concerned about next year hasn't changed much despite the you know the big dollar value the 22 and a half that you see um, that, that that will be seen on paper I guess yeah you're right I mean that's true and I think with this deal I mean basically what Bill Emery and Mark Trestman are doing is, is just hitching their wagon 
doesn't work out and three years go by and the Bears decide to go a different direction at, at quarterback, that probably means Tressman's not around, right? I mean, it pro- I mean the oh, yeah. three years are going to be the window for Emory and Tressman to show what they can do. And that's really interesting. Like, it's really kind of compelling from an outsider's perspective because they could, they could all lose their jobs. You might, in four years from now, you might not have color, and that would probably mean you don't have Tressman, and that would maybe mean you don't have Emory. Or this thing takes off, color proves that he can be a Super Bowl quarterback. And if he does that, the deal's totally worth it. Like, that was, I think I wrote that the day they signed the deal was the only gauge I really have to judge this deal, and it's all down the road, is if color wins the Super Bowl at any point during the contract, whether it's year one or two or three, or if they keep bringing him back for four, five, six, seven, it's worth it. And you're right. This is the price of a starting quarterback as a, a top, you know, 15 starting quarterback, which seems kind of crazy. And, you know, I was just trying to play devil's advocate uh, with a colleague, and I was saying, well, what if, you know, you could have brought in Josh McCown for two years and $10 million, drafted a aging McCarran type, you know, in the second or third round, and now you have all this extra money to play with, you could go get three defensive starters with that extra money. So are you better with Josh McCown and those extra two or three starters on defense, or are you better with Jay Cutler and maybe one player on defense? You know, so it's, it's interesting. I, the salary cap kind of makes everything interesting, and that's why the NFL is what it is. Why it's, you know, there's always so much parity and so much interest. And, uh, I mean, it's, it's entertaining to me. I, I love that the Bears went big for Cutler just because as a story, it's a really entertaining story, and it's going to be really interesting next year to see how this thing plays out. Yeah, and the first thing that, that you know that I wanted to mention is, and it goes back to your first point. You're right, color one because he's getting his wish. What is going to happen here is is you can hear in Cutler's voice in his interviews and, and on his on his radio show, um, the jealousy of someone being in a system. Well, here you go, Jay. You're gonna be in the system for what I would think was at least will be at least another two years. So you're gonna get your full three years. Because the only way anyone's leaving in that time, I would think, with, with basically also uh, with the well-known cheapness of the McCaskies and how they hate paying people that don't work for them anymore. Um, the only way that anything changes is if uh, Phil Emery drafts two more Shea McClellans and plays them out of position, and, and the Bears play them out of position. I think that's the only way he can get rid of himself. Um, but, but as far as the entertainment and, and the idea that, that you're talking about, about McCown... Yeah, I mean, then you would have been hoping that you get Rich Gannon uh, 2.0, and, you know, there was some hope of that happening from what we saw. But uh, you take the idea of the close relationship that he has with Cutler, uh, the fact that he talked about retiring for sure until he went on to his run, you just don't know. And, and I, I get, on defense, look, uh, I mean, I guess we could go right into the off-season moves at this point. On defense, it's pretty much um, get whoever you can on an offensive line in the draft and then maybe go for T.J. Ward. That's that's pretty much it, right? I mean, you can't... Whatever you do, you can't get worse. So, like, that, that's the nice thing. That's the nice situation that the Bears are in in terms of defense. But I was surprised. I mean, the fact that, you know, they didn't make an immediate announcement regarding the defensive coordinator, they kind of opened the door for a potential... Um, when they discussed Julius Peppers, it was, it was far from glowing praise. It was kind of a, a no comment, which was sort of telling, you know. And uh, there's 
I, I think that's the best any any Bears fan could at this point hope for. You know, it, it's. I, I want to ask you the question on, on here. Um, I, I I guess I took the route that most people took, um, but not for the same reasons. I I felt that the last play call. Um, was sort of a culmination of just poor decisions and, and a poor unit overall. Do you think what happened, well, so simply, do you think Mel Tucker attempted to keep it together enough to, to earn another year? I, I would say yes. I mean, I might be biased on that. Just Mel Tucker's a nice guy and has the respect of his players, and, and I totally understand um, the scrutiny, you know, that he's gotten, but ultimately they had they they really did lose a lot of players over the course of the season. Bill Emery came out and said, "This is my fault. I didn't provide enough depth on this team. We weren't prepared for all those injuries." And then you add on the fact that not that last play was just a backbreaker, but ultimately it was just a, a communication breakdown. I, I don't know what Chris Conte was doing. I mean, he thought they were in his own. Everybody else thought they were in a man. The next thing you know, Randall Cobb's running down the field and no Bears players anywhere near him. And you're right. I mean, it was kind of symbolic of the whole year of frustration and failure. And and I get the fact that Mel Tucker's going to have some really hard questions to answer. Um, but I, I think I would give him a chance to kind of do things this way and say, listen, last year you came in, you basically inherited Lovey Smith's defense. You inherited all of his language on defense. You inherited all of his players on defense. So this, we're going to turn the keys over to you and see what you can do for, for one season, and it better be good because you're on notice. Um, that's, that's where I think I would go with this. But um, that comedy play was just, was just brutal. I, I, you know, I've had 10 days to, to, to calm down, um, and, and I, I think that I was calling for his head immediately. I have great – I think that it's fair enough to say that he has – another year and he's on notice because the truth of the matter was and, and I said this uh, on this podcast I said it to I think I've written it as soon as the Bears lost Charles Tillman they lost anybody that had the true experience within the system and that went a long way is there any way there's a communication breakdown of Charles Tillman or Lance Briggs is on that field on that play I don't think so. Um, right, right. Well, Lance Briggs is another story where he was gone for a big chunk of the year. Henry Melton was gone for a big chunk of the year. That's a Pro Bowl defensive tackle. So, so like, basically, the, the players they could least afford to lose turned out to be the ones that they lost. And uh, it just got to the point where it was beyond repair by the end of the year. And, and I mean, I just felt bad for Conti. I mean, he's, he's a good guy. He's a good athlete. But he just, there was no competition this year, I think. None. He was just handed that job and continued to be handed that job again and again, even though every single week, you know, the same mistakes would happen. Well, a couple rookies out there, a linebacker, same story, you know. Yeah, you know, I don't think they plan on Brandon Harden to already basically be out of the league at this point either. So. And that shows you, yeah, I mean, that's like a Jerry Angelo thing. With yeah. When you start missing on those, like, second, third round guys, it comes back and it haunts you. And that's, that, that's what Brandon Harden picked. That's exactly right, because if, if he has even proved to be just a capable, not even a good safety, just, just a capable safety, like special teams type, maybe he could have pushed 
or or my dream. My my dream is that uh, Tillman um, become uh, signs a team friendly deal because he loves Chicago. Gets moved to safety. They sign T.J. Ward. Fry continues his development, and Jennings plays at least like a true number one for one season, while we try to fill that hole uh, some other time because we're going to have to figure out how to pay Brandon Marshall. So. Um, yeah, and I think Brandon Marshall's coming back. I think you're right about that. I mean, he's under contract for next year, but I thought when they went when they went big on Cutler, that was kind of a signal like Marshall, you're back. Yeah. So you're right. Yeah, you're right. And I thought re-signing Tim Jennings was pretty smart because you know there's not a ton of, of high talent uh, cornerbacks that are going to be out there in the free agent market. So if if he had gotten to the open market, I think some team would have thrown a ton of money at Tim Jennings. But I thought the Bears were really smart to just pounce on that. I, I agree with that. I mean, look, Jennings is what he is, but but he can he can he, he can he can lock down. He looks a lot better on the, on the field when Tillman's on the field with him. He's going to be susceptible to double move. He he gives up uh, anti Asante Samuel type plays, but you're going to get that with him. And most of the time, he gets solid play, and sometimes he's going to get burned. And that's just that's just the reality. So it's it's important. That with that move, that we shore up that back. No more Major White. No more Chris Conte. As, as nice of guys they might be. Uh, sorry. <laughs> You're right. You're right. No, I can't argue that. Well, with Tillman, what's interesting is now with Lovey Smith down in Tampa, is he gonna, you know, yeah. go to all his own contacts in his phone? Because Tillman loves playing for Lovey. I know. Uh, Henry Melton loves playing for Lovey. Like I'm, I'm curious. I mean, it's Corey Wooten, the guy that goes down there. Because Lovey had his guys. So I'm curious to see what effect that has if he starts recruiting. Yeah, I don't know, uh, but I, but I I think the plan is pretty well uh, pretty pretty well put out there for the Bears, and you know uh, we're just gonna have to hope that. Look, at it. I think it was I think I'm right that the Bears scored the most points in history and gave up the most points in team history this year. Is that right? I remember after the Trestman hire, I, I wrote kind of an opus on Trestman, trying to write an article and lead and learn about him as well. And then as while I was done with the article, I was like, I thought to myself, you know what, I like this. <laughs> Once you saw everyone he was being around and affiliated with, I was like, I, I like this. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Well, onward and upward from the Bears. Um, one last segment for us. Uh, I figured we might be going on tangents here, but <laughs> and we have. Um, what are um, I got? I'm trying to figure out how I'm going to phrase this. Okay, 
what is the game that you're most looking forward to? But what is the game that is there another game that also has a chance to be the best game of the weekend? I think I phrased. That's, that's tough. That's tough. I, I I would say the game I probably want to see the most is Carolina San Francisco, just because of the way those teams match up, and it could just be just like a fist fight, you know? And they had such a good game earlier in the year. Was it ten to nine? I think was the final, something like that. Yep. So I I love that idea of just hard-nosed teams with two ascending quarterbacks just just duking it out, you know, four quarters. And, and, and I like the Ron Rivera versus Jim Harbaugh angle. I mean, the little Bears component to both of those sides. Right. So that'd probably be my top pick. And then, uh, let's see, the game after that, I would most want to see that probably keep it in the NFC and, and, and say I'm curious to see what Drew Brees can do now that he's got that kind of road playoff win under his belt from beating the Eagles. Now he's going to Seattle, playing a really good Seahawks team, and, and Russell Wilson, another just really interesting player to watch. And, and I kind of like the Drew Brees-Russell Wilson matchup where you've got two quarterbacks who are kind of undersized, but but just great leaders and, and make great decisions. And, you know, I'd probably give the edge, obviously give the edge to Seattle, but, you know, who knows? Maybe, maybe New Orleans... Uh, yeah, it's it's hard to deviate from those. Uh, I, I think the uh, the AFC games have a more chance of having a wow factor, and and I think that I, yeah. I, I think the wow factor can entice a lot of people. But uh, I'm a pretty conservative guy, so I am also looking most forward to the Niners and the Panthers and. Anyone who's heading the safety policies of the NFL probably doesn't want to even tune in. Want to tune in? Probably, probably just want to skip that tape when it gets sent to you uh, because it's it's bow ball versus riverboat run, and it's gonna be interesting. And yeah, they it was ten to nine in candlestick. Uh, the Panthers decimated a great line. Uh, the only game all year that Joe Staley didn't look like Joe Staley. They had six sacks. They only allowed 280 total yards, but the Panthers' offense didn't get much more than that. You got probably the two best linebacking core, uh, cores at tackling in the league. It's That's just going to be too much fun. I mean, everybody who thinks about old-school football and misses it is going to love that game, right? I, I think so. I mean, that's the one I'm signing up for. And what, what's kind of cool, I don't know what the odds of this are happening, Absolutely. I think my second game that, that could be the most compelling is one that ends the slate. Uh, New Orleans-Seattle is a game that I, I'm obviously interested in seeing, but I do feel like we know we will know 20 minutes in exactly what we're, what we're going to get. So I, I, agree. I, I think if we get 20 minutes in and it's 27-7 a half, uh, going in 27-7 a half again like earlier, and the bounces are going Seattle's way, 
and everyone dressed in green or it, it, it could be bad. So I, I think the other one is is the never-ending narrative of, of Peyton Manning. Um, yep. you, you, we have a game where I'm looking at the spreads, and I do the spreads with my buddy later, um, but I, you know, Peyton Manning and, and the playoffs and the guy that he was around him all of last year, the guy that made Tim Tebow have a good offense, well, wasn't a good offense, but somehow did some things with Tim Tebow and then was a year with Peyton Manning, and now he's probably given Phil Rivers the best year of his life. I, I think that's going to be very interesting, and I always find it compelling because I like the I like the drama, I like the entertainment. That that's what I'm doing. That's what I'm enjoying all this for. And I, I like how we take these narratives and we forget about things. We forget about three key missed field goals and games for Peyton Manning losses and all that type of stuff. But you know what? It'll be all forgotten if it happens again. So as far as maximum drama, I think the Chargers and Broncos can bring that. That's a good pick. I mean, those two teams know each other well, and usually those divisional matchups are pretty close. And, I mean, the pressure's on Denver. You know, the pressure is on. So if that game, if you're, if you're going into halftime and it's all tied up or something like that, I think the Broncos realize, like, I mean, anything short of a Super Bowl is going to be a disappointment, right? And the clock's kind of taken on Peyton's career, so that's going to be pretty compelling. I, I, I'm with you. I'll be watching, and, and that, that has a chance to be a great one. And then, you know, even the last one's not too bad either. You have a chance to see someone like Andrew Luck really put a stamp on his career by going into Foxborough. Right. And, and then on the other side, you got Brady, who, what's he now, like 30? I think like that, I mean, up for yeah, he's 36, 37, I believe. Yeah. Came out. Yeah, and he's, I'm sure he's looking at lips, looking at the Indianapolis Colts secondary. So you've got a guy kind of in that sunset, you know, with Brady, and then with Lux, you've got this guy, you know, kind of who looks to be like a quarterback who's going to be around for the next 12 or 14 years and be great, you know. So, so yeah, you're right. I mean, all four, all four are a pretty awesome matchup. Plus, you've got a guy with a neck beard that rivals. Kyle Orton's, and and we got the Bears tie, of a little uh, you know, a little Bears tie of Pep Hamilton there. So, yeah, I don't get the beard. I, I would think that would get you know uncomfortable at a certain point. I, I tell like you, he lives in the woods, which I, I don't know if there's a lot of woods in Indianapolis. Maybe there aren't. It, it's one of the flattest areas of the entire country, but uh, I, I I think, but I don't know. I I think he's managed to grow it anyway. I. I'll tell you what, I'm Polish, and I can get a little bit of a neck beard going on, and that, after two or three days, you know, if you let it go in the winter, that it does, it itches. I don't know how you go on with that thing. Right. Big sweater on his face. You know, it doesn't, uh, they can get like a Gillette deal or something. I guess Buck doesn't have to worry about money if he's the number one pick. But yeah, no, I, you're right. I mean, he's carrying the tradition on for, uh, for everyone who, who loves Kyle Orton. Like, there will be It'll be a hundred years from now, and you know somebody's great great grandkids will remember the name Kyle Orton, and they'll only know him because of his beard, not because of anything he did. You know, as a Bears quarterback. Well, I, I agree with that, but I I am one of the few that uh, I consider myself an expert in the neck beard um, uh, community, and uh, the real president, uh, the grand marshal, the grand arbiter of it all, even before Orton was Coy Detmer. Oh wow, Coy Detmer. 
Coy Detmer on the go, go look up some Coy Detmer on the Eagles neckbeard pictures. It it looks like he there's it looks like a Yeti's coming out of his neck. You, you, and you probably won't want to again, but <laughs> I'm, I'm glad I could provide that thought for you today. It's a good thought, you know, kind of going indoors to the playoffs. Absolutely. Um, you know, and I, and I think that's a pretty good way to, to, to wrap things up here today. Um, any last thoughts on the games before uh, you introduce yourself one last time? And, and if and if he uh, and if he realizes that a matchup isn't going well, he'll just get Jeff Triplett's crew out there. <laughs> exactly. So, so Tom, where can we uh, where where can we find your work, sir? Sounds great, and uh, I'll be following, and uh, I hope everyone listening will be following too, and uh, I hope to talk to you soon. All right, thanks a lot. I had fun. I appreciate it. Thank you, Tom. All right, folks, that was a lot, to, a lot of fun, a lot of fun. Hope we get to do that again. Again, you can find uh, all the good work uh, from everybody from Shaw Media and uh, Tom there at the uh, Northwest Herald at hubarkish.com, H-U-B-A-R-K-U-S-H. And now we finally bring in our buddy, Blotz. How you doing? Uh, hey, man, there, man. Uh, just, uh, you know, getting ready for the weekend games and, uh, you know, trying to keep up with the, uh, the coaching changes and uh, whatever down here. Oh, we will be talking about one of those specific coaching changes. <laughs> but... But we might as well just dive into the fun here. The divisional games are usually the best games of uh, all of... Uh, it just feels like they're always the best games of all the NFL playoffs each and every season. Uh, there's usually one upset of a number one seed. And, uh, I don't know, before we get to dive into New Orleans, Seattle, uh, same question I gave Tom. Um, what game are you looking most forward to, and what game do you think could be and a, a pick a different game for what game could be the best game of the weekend. Um, I think Carolina San Francisco could be the best game of the weekend. Uh, I mean, uh, you know, I'm, I'm really looking forward to that. Uh, 
show like last week on the road, uh, but we all know, uh, you know, Philadelphia, their offense only works if you get first outs. <laughs> and uh, they weren't doing that until the third quarter last week, and they weren't getting their best player involved until Keith Lewis got hurt. And uh, I think it could be a much different story versus, uh, versus Seattle this week. Well, let's just discuss the rest of that game then. Um, yeah, I... I think the the spread of the final score of the first matchup of 34-7, I, I think that in itself was an aberration, but I don't think Seattle winning the game was an aberration. Um, again, you know, Seattle is number one in so many things. Uh, offensive DVOA from Football Outsiders. Uh, number one in defensive yards per game allowed. They're even... It didn't feel that way, but they were seventh in rushing uh, rushing yards per play allowed. Um, obviously, number one on, on defense in DVOA. Number one in yards per play difference. Number one in quarterback rating differential. Uh, it, number one in the Brian Billick's thing that I was telling you about, the uh, toxic play differential. It's just so much is in their favor. It, it's... The, I, well, I, I just find it hard to think that the, the Saints are going to do it in, unless this, this really is just complete FU mode by the Saints and Sean Payton, right? Yeah, I mean, there is that, but uh, Seattle also has the X factor in this game, possibly, with Percy Harvard. Uh, hasn't really played except for one game all year, but... Uh, I've heard some radio interviews in the past uh, couple of days with uh, Golden Tate, the Seattle Rockwell receiver, and uh, said, yeah, I mean, he's catching passes, or he's probably going to be returning kicks, and uh, that's, uh, that's, that's something that uh, New Orleans hasn't had to game plan for or deal with, uh, especially in the previous meeting. Um, I know, uh, I forget when exactly Sidney Wright got hurt for Seattle, but, uh, I mean, the last month or so, it's just been, uh, Doug Mullen and Jermaine Curse and, uh, and Tate and a few of their other guys out there at receivers, so, uh, uh, that could present, uh, you know, one of the challenges for the New Orleans secondary. Yeah, I, I think it's going to be tough, um, for them again, uh, I can see how it can happen. I also think that we'll know exactly what this game is going to be about 20 minutes in. And I, you know, I said that to, to Mr. Music, and uh, I, I, I just it, it, this one could get out of hand again. But uh, I, I hesitate to to say that it's going to get 34 to seven bad. I, I guess that's all I'm saying. And I, I agree with you as well that the uh, one major note of the uh, that I had below all the stats that I normally put together here, uh, can Percy Harvin do anything? So is the 15 or 20 plays, it'll probably, I mean, he's not in game shape. I mean, it doesn't matter what guys are telling in the media. There's no way he's in game shape. But 
he certainly could have be a factor in those 15 to 20, pl 20 plays. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I, I definitely agree. Uh, I mean, it's, it's a very dynamic player, and plus, uh, you know, we just saw the national championship game this week, how big of a factor special teams can be in a close game. So, uh, you know, I... stats just looking at intangibles like that which uh, I, I tend to do more than looking at numbers and uh, you know that as well as everybody else but uh, but uh, yeah I'm, I'm definitely leaning towards Seattle in this one at home yeah I, I think we can just go right in the pick in this one I mean it, it's hard to go into too much more detail I, I again um it's going to be whether Junior Gallette and Cameron Jordan can keep Wilson in the pocket long enough or actually get some sacks on them themselves. Obviously, the Saints were good in pass defense. Uh, they were actually pretty, they were second in yards allowed. Of course, they were way behind uh, Seattle because <laughs> Seattle managed to only give up something like 2,700 yards. But uh, I, I can't give the full eight. Uh, I, I'm going to say Seattle's going to win this game. Um, I, I'm going to give it to him 24-17. Um, I'm actually making it a field goal game, uh, but I, I think it's uh, going to be a deceiving score. Uh, I, I have uh, I have Seattle 27, uh, the, Saints, uh, the Saints 24. Yeah, you know, the, the funny thing is, and I'll, I'll give you a little bit of a tri quick trivia question before we finish up with this game. <laughs> Guess who's the only person to throw for more than 258 yards uh, against the uh, Seahawks this year was? Carson Palmer, maybe? Nope. Matt Schaub. No, come on. <laughs> <laughs> it was. 355 yards and four touchdowns and a loss. That's, a, that's courtesy of Bill Barnwell. I love that stat. Uh, you know, okay. Um, we'll move on to Indianapolis and, and the Patriots. Um, I love the storylines in this game. I, I love the idea of, of, of Andrew Luck. And, uh, and uh, Tom and I agree that, uh, that it looks like Andrew Luck just might live in the woods somewhere. And it would be pretty funny to see a, a mountain man. Uh, he didn't say this part, but I, uh, I think it would be pretty funny to see a mountain man like Andrew Locke, who apparently can't afford a razor, um, go in and, and beat up on pretty boy uh, Tom Brady and his uh, 
It's nice, nicely chiseled chin there. Uh, I, I think I love the storyline on this game. I, I don't, you know, you got the beat up Patriots. You got the Tom Brady hasn't done it in ten years thing. You, you got a lot of cool things going on here. What, what, what say you? You nailed that. Yeah, right there. Yeah, it sounds sound like you had a little bit of fit there. Uh, it's uh, it's completely understandable. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I wrote a, I wrote a little bit in the picks column today um, that, folks, if you're listening, you can find at footballpros.com. Um, you know, I, I wrote an interesting thing about the narrative between Andrew Luck and Andy Dalton. Now, I'm, I'm not saying that Andy Dalton ever could have been Andrew Luck, because clearly he doesn't have the physical tools to ever be that. But I think it's interesting how easy it is for two careers to diverge or um, one career to go, any career, to go one way and any other career to go another way. You know, 
Andrew Luck in a second playoff game got to face uh, Andy Reid and his aversion to the run, and he and he got to face a, a team that eventually got decimated with with injuries. I mean, ineffective Tom Holly, Justin Houston out of the game, Brandon Flowers out of the game. I mean, uh, there's a lot of people that could. Could have scored plenty of points there, and Andrew Luck up until that point, you know, when it when it became 38-10, when it became 45-17 or whatever, uh, not uh, 41-17, he was every bit at that point as bad as Andy Dalton was on, on Sunday, but he was given time to turn it around, and it, it's just incredible that Andrew Luck, in his second playoff game, he gets to get, be in circumstances like that. It involves major injuries and Andy Reid's clock management, while Andy Dalton in his second playoff game faced J.J. Watt coming off the heels of the greatest defensive season of all time. So, <laughs> I just find that part interesting. And the other interesting thing about this game is that despite how it feels, despite the records, despite you know, the Patriots 6-1 and in the divisional round, uh, those six wins by an average of more than 14 points, you know, including a couple of drubbings, absolute drubbings, um, which included, you know, good old the, the Tim Tebow drubbing. Uh, these teams actually match up pretty evenly. Uh, their turnover differentials are about the same. The, what they convert on offense is about the same on third downs. Uh, the Patriots are noticeably worse on allowing third down conversions. Uh, that little Brian Billick stat of toxic plays, uh, the the Colts are plus six, the Patriots are plus five, so they're almost the same there. You add up their time of possession, which are both around 30 minutes, you get almost exactly 60 minutes. And just a lot of weird things that point to this game being a lot closer than the seven points. And since you know my picks are against the spread, there's no way I'm giving that up. Um, this is going to be... Uh, this is absolutely going to be a great game, but I think there's one last hurrah left in Tom Brady. I do think there's one last mind screw left in, in Bill Belichick, and I, I think the the young kid is getting one more learning experience before, you know, well, you know, he doesn't look like a young kid, but he is still a young kid, folks. I'm not giving the seven. I, I, and I think it's going to be a close game, but I'm going to put the Patriots 30, uh, the Colts 28. All right, well, I mean, I told you what way I was leading before, and I'm definitely uh, going against the grain here, but uh, I'm going to reverse the score. Uh, well, at least uh, I had the Colts with 30 points. And... Uh, Patriots, I think they have a 24. Uh, you know, I, I, I think that the game will be in the 20s for the most part. It won't get out of hand crazy like it did last week. Uh, be, uh, be more uh, ball control with, uh, with the offensive and the running game. Uh, even though Donald Brown uh, had the that fumble last week that Luck just happened to stab and fall up to the end zone with. But, uh, but uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm going with the Colts riding the wave at least one more week. All right, well, I've got a new term for you. That means you're riding Cluck Strong. Combination of truck, <laughs> truck Strong and Luck Strong right there. You're Cluck Strong this week. 
Moving on to the game that we were most looking forward to, uh, the Niners and the Panthers. Uh, I, I mentioned before, I'm going to let you go a little bit on this one. Uh, this is the one that uh, Tom and I went in a little more detail with and how much we're going to enjoy it. So you tell me all the things that you're going to enjoy about this game. Involved a catch and run by Ted Ginn. I think it's going to be a fantastic game. I, I don't. I don't think necessarily even the final score is going to tell us how great this game is. Is um, not not the score that I'm going to give. Um, but you know, the, the these are two of the things that everyone that loves old school football will enjoy. You know, we've got the Bears ties that you and I have talked about plenty of times, and, and Tom and I mentioned as well. Uh, you know, you got Jim Harbaugh, you got Riverboat Ron. You got bow ball, you know. You got all this stuff going on, and I, I just think that it's uh, a couple of interesting things. Is you know the Niners seem like they're gaining stride at the right time, and even though the Niners only had 38 sacks as a team, well, Allen Smith missed a good portion of the first part of the season, and he now has 10 sacks in the nine games that he's played. Uh, this is a much better defense with Allen Smith, and when they're doing their regular tackling. Um, obviously, the Panthers can with Greg Hardy. Uh, they can obviously go toe to toe as far as being able to disrupt the passing game. These teams both struggle to move the football. Obviously, that's <laughs> in the modern NFL when you have a ten to nine game, you just know how either how terrible the offenses are, and they're not. The, the, these offenses are pretty darn efficient, actually, uh, both in the top ten and offensive DVOA, and. I just uh, I just think the Niners are a very scary team right now, and anytime that you can get a good performance 
on the road, even if the Lambo Mystique is gone. You know, Green Bay three and five since beginning three thirteen and zero in Lambo. Uh, you know, you got things like that going on. But I, I do think I've got to give the edge the, the the team with more experience. I think maybe the the first playoff game jitters is, is easy, not just for Cam Newton, but also for Ron Rivera. I think this is a a good team, and we'll see them back. But I. I think this stage might be just a little too much, and, and the, the Niners, uh, they'll know this beforehand, but let's just say the Saints pull that off. They know that a win would get them one more game in candlestick. Uh, another thing uh, that uh, uh, Mr. Music and I talked about. And, uh, you know, I've, I've got to give the edge of the Niners, and I, I'm going to go ahead and, and I'm going I'm to pick a goofy score. But I, I think these teams are ripe for a score like this. Uh, I'm going to give the Niners the win 16 to 5. That's pretty hilarious because I also have a 16 in my score. <laughs> There's simply not a safety involved. <laughs> but, uh, um, no, no, I am saying that that is going to. I am saying that's a nine to five ball game until a very late Frank Gore touchdown. That that's what I'm saying. I I I think it's going to be six to five at the half. <laughs> Well, you know, actually, it's kind of similar to the score the Astros usually lose by down there. Well, the Astros are usually down 6-2 by the end of the third inning. So, uh, <laughs> right. <laughs> that's, that's not too far off. It's the Niners giving a point. They're actually favored by a point. Well, technically, you're 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 uh, you're you're calling it for them to, to. You're saying that Vegas has it perfect because with the three-point advantage, home field advantage, they're really saying the Niners are favored by four. But you know the true number is minus one, so you would cover. Yeah, obviously, we'd cover with it. But you know, with conventional wisdom, you're saying that Vegas has it right. The Niners should be favored. So. And anyone who's not a gamble, never gambled in Vegas has no idea what I just said. Anyway, <laughs> uh, we'll move on to a game that I, I picked uh, as my, my definitely second favorite game. And I just love the narratives of, of stuff like this. When, when people know each other so well, 
when two teams are only a point apart in their two regular season matchups, when you got something like Mike McCoy, who 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 worked with Peyton Manning last year, and, and then goes out and people, you know, I made fun of it. I said, oh, who was really OC last year? What are the Chargers really getting? And then all of a sudden, Mike McCoy goes out there and gives Philip Rivers the best season of his career. And then he comes off of an extremely impressive road win against the, the Bengals where they outmuscled the Bengals on the road. They went out there. They punched them in the mouth. They, they just... 16 passes, only six passes in the first half. I, incredible what they did. Uh, I don't know if it's... I'm not sure who to compliment more or insult more based on, on what side of the field you're on. No matter what, let's not take away from the Chargers too much. They were extremely impressive last week. Yeah, I mean, uh, besides Danny Dalton's buffoonery, uh, you know, they, you know, they're, they're not going to be able to have a game plan like that. Obviously, six passes and a half for space and paid many. Uh, but uh, yeah, they, they ran the football. Hopefully. Hopefully Ryan Matthews is okay. Uh, he's the one that got him to this point. In the second half, we basically had Danny Woodhead and Ronnie Brown, or the corpse of Ronnie Brown. Um, Who ran for a 58-yard touchdown somehow. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. <laughs> you know, weekend at Bernie's, uh, Ronnie Brown there, I, I don't know. How amused would you be if Rodney Brown scores a touchdown in this game and does the Bernie? <laughs> I'll probably throw something at my TV. <laughs> or would you just start looking for Andrew Silverman? <laughs> probably both. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, um, yeah, I, I, I know that. But the thing is, they didn't need Ryan Matthews last week, and that's what made it so impressive. And the thing is, I, I, offensively, I, I think they can come up with the same game plan. Game plan. I mean, this isn't this isn't a, a great Denver defense um, by any means. Obviously, would not with Von Miller and the Chargers. Uh, the only team that the Denver scored twenty eight less po or less points against were the Chargers both times. And the reason was because the Chargers held the ball for thirty eight minutes in both of those games. So on offense. They kind of just need to keep doing what they're doing and keep Peyton Manning off the field and hope their defense comes up with enough stops. I mean, this could be one of those games where instead of 10 or 11 possessions, each team gets 7 or 8. And, it, and we all know what happens, and this is why I love this game, because it's going to fuel the narrative one way or another. You know, everyone, if Peyton Manning throws a late pick like he did against Baltimore last year or, or the other times, and, uh, you know, I, I don't know. I, I love the drama in this one. I just I just love it. It, it just makes me happy. There's also a potential distraction in this game. Um, a lot of people aren't talking about it, but I'm going to go ahead and throw it out. Ken Wittenhut uh, is, is interviewing with the Lions today. Uh, he's interviewing with the Titans tomorrow, and he's interviewing with the Browns on Saturday. 
Right. I mean, <laughs> so you think your guy who was probably doing like three, five, or six hours, well, yeah, I was just saying the interview with the Lions, the interview with the Titans on Friday, and the interview with Cleveland on, on Saturday. And uh, that is, uh, it's, it's pretty crazy, uh, you know, right before a divisional round playoff game that the offensive coordinator, the offensive play caller, uh, is going to do, you know, five to six hour interviews on consecutive days, uh, you know, right right before uh, a game of this magnitude. I think the Chargers should have at least stepped in on one of those days and said, you know, you can do it <laughs> after after Sunday. I mean, that, that, that's, I don't know. That, that just seems kind of weird to me. Well, it, it's happened before, and I, I've got one joking answer and one serious answer. And the one joking answer is, see, they aren't going to change the game plan this week. The other answer is is that um, this happens all the time, and the game plan is always put in by that Wednesday. So if he went out today and tomorrow and, and Saturday, he's not missing a ton. Now, I, I agree that probably should have pared that down to two. Um, uh, do Friday and Saturday instead of, instead of today as well. But uh, we've seen this before. We've seen it affect the game before. We've seen it not affect the game before. I'm not sure how much we can actually take from it, but it it is a, a yet another aspect of the game that could eventually come into play. Yeah, I mean, you know, Mike McCoy will definitely, uh, you know, insert his familiarity uh, with uh, with Denver into this game, but. Uh, All right, so uh, yeah, I, I, look, I was, you know, I go against the spread, so I managed to go two and two because the because the Colts only won by one. Um, I was uh, one and three straight up though, so you know, I, I feel your pain. I, I'm hoping that uh, this is the week something something good happens for me there, but um, I uh, I don't believe in the charges enough to go full bore on them, uh, so. I am going to go ahead and take Denver, uh, but uh, I'm going to pick. I'm going to pick the same score that they originally beat the Chargers, and that was uh, 28 to 20. All right, uh, I'm having a uh, slightly different score, but same ballpark. I'm doing the uh, uh, the Broncos 30 and the Chargers 21. Uh, I mean, I just think, you know, last week, uh, uh, you know, uh, they, they had a guard, A.G. Green, and, uh, you know, the tight ends for, uh, for, uh, uh, for, Cantor, for Cincinnati, but after that, there's really not much to worry about, and you, you got to worry about everybody in Denver, and uh, getting Wes Walker back, uh, I think it's going to be big. 
Yeah, I think it. I think it can be a difficult game for them. Um, any final thoughts on any of these games before we go on and uh, wrap things up with an All American? Touched on him, and we, with, yeah, we touched on him with it uh, here and there, in there. But uh, you know, I think the one major thing that that we didn't talk about, it was just to get a definitive answer. Um, what is your plan if you're the Bengals and Andy Dalton? Your offensive coordinator just left for Washington. Your new offensive coordinator is going to be a run-heavy guy, Hugh Jackson. If you're the Bengals, do you do you do anything with Andy Dalton, and what do you do if you do? kind of what I guessed is that they'll probably go the safe, bring in a veteran route, uh, teach him more type of thing. Uh, if I were them, I would be bringing someone that could bring in actual pressure, whether I, I think it would be crazy to bring in Michael Vick, but if you do bring in Michael Vick, at least he brings in pressure. If you bring in Matt Schaub, he brings in pressure. After all, uh, wasn't Schaub who's already beat him once in the playoffs, which is pretty sad? Um... <laughs> You know, it, 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 no, it was T.J. Yates the first time. Oh, yeah, yeah, that, that's right. Yeah, the immortal T.J. Yates. Yeah, he, he's beating Andy Dalton in the playoffs, too. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't think you extend him. I think you make him play out the year. I think I would have brought in some true competition, but, you know, at least they're going to be going into some sort of power run game with Hugh Jackson, which is probably better suited for what Andy Dalton is. So I, I think the definitive answer is that they should be doing something that they're not doing. So I don't know. I don't know how the Bengals get out of this rut. I mean, uh, Marvin Lewis is now coach of NFL team for longer than anybody who had never gotten a playoff win. So... I, I don't know how you break that without having real change, and kind of like the McCaskies, the Brown, you know, the Browns just you don't like being people that don't work for them anymore. They're cheap. They, you know, whatever. Um, I'm all American. Uh, 
Yeah, they they were in Chargers territory for like their first five drives of the game. They only managed ten points or something, something really bad. I mean, too can way too conservative by Lewis to not go for it in an opponent's territory. Those sorts of things. I, I, there is a lot of rough things about that game, and I I don't know. Um, we'll just see. I'll we'll have to see what happens. Um, getting a little American is, is something where we're pretty sure we know how this is going to end. Um. I uh, I understand this week's Model American. I, I don't know why this this week's Model American decided to make this choice. Um, I, the University of Louisville. He already had Bobby Petrino. He already screwed you over once, and possibly one of your volleyball players. Assuming that's what he always went for. But why wouldn't you go back again, knowing that this guy's just looking for his next job? Uh, what you saw this hire, what did you think? I just laughed. <laughs> I mean, it's like the moment, uh, the moment Charlie Strong left, I mean, you know, Bobby Petrino sent an email to the president of Louisville and said, ta-da, here I am with the, you know, uh, with the eight bras on the back of the motorcycle and, you know, uh, say it, it's time to roll again. Uh, I, I don't know uh, what he thinks he can do uh, with that program after screwing them over and going to the Atlanta Falcons, which... You know what he can do? I, I, I don't know. It's, it, it. You know what he can do? He can he can he can send forty three hundred text messages to to a, a former volleyball player, and then and then get her a state a state paid job, uh, uh, just so he can be closer to her. That's what he can do. No, I I I get what they're thinking. They're thinking that, okay, this guy's going to leave. We know what's going to happen with him. He's a jerk. He's a scuzzball. But he's a good coach. And we're going to be able to ride this Teddy Bridgewater thing out. We're going to still have some talent on this team. We're going to have decent records for the next two or three years. So they're hoping to bridge the gap long enough. Because they must have been a little surprised by Charlie Strong or something. Because this was a knee-jerk reaction. thing. okay, who do we know that can get us a bridge to whoever the next coach is going to be? And they go for Petrino. The ultimate. By the way, this guy has a long history of scuzzbaggery. Um, uh, it's almost like Tron didn't fit their profile of uh, womanizing coaches. I mean, they had Petrino run the basketball team, and they're like, uh, you know, we need someone more like him to run the football team. <laughs> what exactly is our team concept? No, but people forget this. If you go way back with Petrino, he was buddies with Coughlin when Coughlin was still with the Jags. And when he left for his first college job, he left basically in the middle of the night, just like he did with everybody else. And Coughlin never spoke to him again. This guy did this 12 years ago. 
12 years ago this guy started this. And, he, and the thing is, it proves that jerks win. Because when he got fired with cause, and by the way, I, I hope to have just that, that interview with him wearing the neck brace. I need to just have that on a loop somewhere, just so I can laugh every day after a bad day. But he gave up $17 million for that. That's a, that's a lot of money, right? Well, he, he loses a, a couple... Uh, he, he loses a year. Gets paid pennies at, what, Western Kentucky, right? And his yeah, new... Yeah. yeah, and then his new deals were $24 million. He he skips a year, gains seven million, and he's gonna probably go out with a couple of former volleyball players and leave in two years. You're welcome, University of Louisville. That's what you got yourselves into. That is why you're the model American of the week. All right, Blots, you got any last thoughts? Sounds good but there, buddy. And, uh, and folks, we'll be back next week to uh, preview the AFC and NFC championships. Again, Model America of the Week, uh, good old uh, Bobby Petrino along with uh, the University of Louisville. Many thanks to our buddy Blotz. And, and again, it was an absolute pleasure and honor to have uh, Tom Usick from uh, the Northwest Herald, uh, Shaw Media, and HubArkish.com. And thank you again for listening this week, folks. Have a good one.